have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. We're continuing a series in the book of Mark called Quotation Marks. And what we've endeavored to do is, is learn about the life and the words of Jesus Christ from the life and the words of Jesus Christ. Mark is the gospel of action, so not much story. This is simply what Jesus does. This is what he says. And Mark really gives you the, the life of Christ that says, take it or leave it. And so the quotation marks. I remember several times growing up, um, driving in, in different places and, and seeing these odd buildings that looked like a tornado had removed them from their location, flipped them upside down and, and landed them in a significant prime real estate spot in either Orlando, Branson or Pigeon Forge. Um, I, I never... At, as a child went into these buildings, but I now learned through research that they are called um, Wonderworks Family Theme Parks. Has anyone ever been to the Upside Down Wonderworks? I see some hands. Um, I, I looked at them through the Google recently and I've always wanted to go in there because obviously through a, a genius marketing strategy, you, you go into this right side up world, you're driving down the road and there's an obvious upside down building in a right side up world. And it fascinated me as a, as a child. Why can I not go into these? Uh, one day, I, I guess I will be the dad saying, we're not now, son. We're not going in that building. But as we look at the kingdom of God, I can't help but to see Jesus' teaching in Mark 10 with the same ramifications. That what Jesus teaches is that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom and a right side up world. Once you come to Christ, you realize that the kingdom of God is an upside right kingdom and an upside down world. So I just simply wanna ask you this morning, are you ready to live differently for Jesus Christ? My message this morning is entitled Upside Down Living, Sacrifice and Service. So let's read the word of God together. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. New Testament, second gospel, second book in the New Testament. Mark says this, we begin here in 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. Now, if this is all you have, you're thinking these guys are about to get lightning bolts from heaven. But look what Jesus says in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked them, and so they said, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Verse 41, when the others, the 10 heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. 
Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will become your servant. And whoever wants to be first will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, clearly in your word, your kingdom is nothing like anything we have ever seen. So right now, let us lay aside our prejudice. Let us lay aside our preconceived notions, our labels, our status, our habits, our hangups. Anything that might prevent us from hearing the word of God, the living and active truth of the Savior, we'll remove it this morning. We confess to you right now that We have no hope understanding the inspired word of God other than your spirit. Father, fill us, fill this place with your spirit today. Open our ears and our hearts that we would not be hearers only, but that we would do the teachings of our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Upside down living. What does that look like and how can we, if we are called to live like this, then now how can we live in an upside down world with a savior who says we are to live differently than anything we know? So let's go back to verse 35. We find the age old question, right? Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Anyone else surprised by that? They're coming to God, saying, God, just just FYI, do us one favor. Okay, James and John, what is that one favor? Just do whatever we ask. This should appall us that that men who have, have walked with Christ would ask this question. For me, it gives me optimism that the disciples are asking questions that we are bold and arrogant enough to continue asking ourselves. God, just do whatever we want and then we'll be on really good terms. Now, maybe you don't ask or approach the Holy One with the same words, but we often have similar motivations, don't we? We we might not pray, God, just give me whatever I ask. Lord, here's the blank check. But we ask it in, in other ways. Maybe, maybe we pray this way, Lord, I will do this if you just do this. Lord, if you, if you let me win the lottery, then I will give you 10%. Lord, if you just take this difficulty away, then I, you know that I will go to church like I should. Lord, if you, just, if you just heal my friend, 
then I will follow you like I need to. And what we're doing is we're basically saying, God, you sign the check, let me fill in the prayer. And God, then I'll trust you. You see, we, we continue asking those same questions today, don't we? And the hope that we have is that this question has already been asked. So if you feel like a loser today spiritually because you've asked this question, you're not alone. James and John are in that circle. And, and yet God is patient and he's gracious to them. You see, this is the me first approach to Jesus, is it not? Just come to Jesus and he'll do whatever you want. We don't see that in scripture. So we need to be very careful when we offer this Jesus to people. When we offer the Santa Claus Jesus, the Jesus that, you know, he, he knows when you're naughty and he knows when you're good and he's checking his list sometimes twice. And if you do good, then he'll reward you. But if you don't do good, then one day, if you're really bad, hell is waiting. And we don't say it in those terms, but that's how we present Jesus Christ. We just present him, come to Jesus, he'll make your life golden. And yet we forget that Jesus calls us to upside down living. So if you're here today and your life is really messed up, maybe that's not because you're sinning. Maybe that's because you are following Christ. Think about that. Maybe your life is upside down because of Jesus, not in spite of him. And that's what we need to work through this morning. Say, Lord, how, how can we live for you? We don't need to live in a way that we feel like Jesus owes us anything. And if we're honest, some of us feel like that. If we're honest, for those who have come to church regularly for years, you, you feel like God owes you because of who you are. You won't say it like that, but that's how we pray. We, we, we frustrated God. God, why would you? God, why do people hate me? Don't they, Lord, don't you know that I love you? And, and God's saying, well, pastor, did I not tell you that if you love me, the world will hate you? And we pray as if God owes us something. You see, my, our kingdom should not be us first. We should pray like Jesus Christ. Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Not my will but yours. The disciples are asking self-centered questions. I'm reminded by James and John here that we are quick to claim the blessings of God, but slow to hear the cost of participating. We are quick to claim, God, answer one prayer. Just do anything I ask. Let me just, let's think through this really quick. I know it's dangerous to think out loud, but just think through this. If God were to answer one prayer of all of us, whose kingdom will be glorified this morning? I mean, really, if, if God, if, he, if we gave in, in the bulletin this morning, if God wrote and inspired the words, Josh, I will answer any prayer, but only one prayer, one prayer you pray today, would those prayers make an eternal difference? Or would those prayers be self-centered? You see, that, that's what's going on here. And if we're, if we're honest, we pray the same prayers, don't we? We pray me first prayers. We, we pray Mark 10 prayers. We say, Lord, do, do whatever 
we ask. See, I believe that my prayers say a lot about my commitment and dedication to Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the blessing of you guys hearing this. You, you have to hear it for about 45 minutes on Sunday morning. I've been asking myself this question all week. Lord, do the, what do the prayers that I pray say about my dedication to the kingdom? And you know what? I didn't like the answer. Because a lot of things that we pray for are me-centered, aren't they? And, and yet, God's called us to live differently, to upside-down living. I, I call this the inverted kingdom of God. And, and look how the Lord responds to this bold request. How does God respond in verse 36? Jesus says this. What do you want me to do for you? We, we don't have him saying, really? You've been with me for three years. And I'm about to die on the cross for you guys. And you want me to write a blank check to tickle your ears? You're carried about, you're, you worry about where you're going to sit in heaven and I'm about to die on the cross? Think about how insignificant the request is. And yet Jesus remarkably encourages that. And their request is, Lord, let me sit on the right and the left. In the ancient world, the, the right, so this would be your right, is the, is the seat of significance. It's the seat of authority. The, the right-hand man sat on the right side. You guys are sharp. And the left-hand man Tradition says in the ancient world that, that bad news always came from the left side. You didn't want to be the guy on the left. He was a second in command. So much so that in Latin, the Latin word for left hand means sinister. So just turn to your left and say sinister. Right, sinister. Because bad news came from that side. If that was someone you love, just please forgive them later. They did that because I asked. But what are they asking? What are the disciples asking? They're asking for a place of honor. You see, the disciples are hoping, listen to this church, right? The disciples are hoping to honor Jesus as he honors them. Jesus, we wanna honor you. Of course we can drink the cup. Of course we can be baptized like you're baptizing us. But when we do, it would be really nice if that right side was reserved. And it'd be really nice if the left side was, was reserved. We do the same thing, don't we? We play the church game. Lord, I'm gonna do this so you'll love me. I'm reminded by the, the fact that there's nothing you can do today to make God love you more. Amen. God doesn't love you because you're here today and you're thinking, man, that's a bummer. Because <laughs> I was really hoping. And there's nothing you can do today to make God love you less. He loves you because Christ died for you. The full measure of love for us was poured out through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that gives me hope. And yet we're wrapped up in our world. Jesus calls us to upside down living and we still want to put our lives right side up. We're worried about, Lord, give us the place of honor. And God says, it's not about honoring you. I'm honoring my son through you. Are we ready to live upside down lives? See, Jesus said to them, 
you don't know what you're asking. And they didn't get it, did they? Sometimes the Lord speaks to us through his Holy Spirit and we don't, we don't get it. You would think there would be a point in time where they would just stop and say, Lord, we shouldn't have asked that. We're stopping right now. But they didn't understand. You see, what's going on here in their lives? They didn't realize to share in the glory of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to share in the sufferings. To share in the glory of Christ we must be willing to share in the sufferings. Now, let's think about this very quickly as a church. If we're not careful, Americans, this is how we pray. We pray for missionaries around the world as if to say, Lord, thank you that they're not. Thank you that they're suffering and we're not. Lord, we'll give a little bit. We'll pray a little bit, but don't call us to what they're doing. Lord, it's the it's the super Christians that suffer, but not us. I mean, it's the people in Rwanda and Iran. Lord, we're going to pray for them. And think about how we pray. Let's, let's get messy real quick. How do we pray for the persecuted church? The first thing that we pray for, Lord, take the fire away. Lord, don't make them suffer. Have we read the Bible? You know what the persecuted church tells us, the Westerners, to pray for them? Not that the persecution would end, but pray that their faith would remain through the persecution. If that doesn't wake us up to upside down living, nothing will. I'm reminded of a story that I was reading about Boston. If you go to Boston today, you'll find at the Holocaust Museum six towers. In September of 1939, a lady named Gerda and her family were taken by the invasion of Poland. And for three years, she stayed in a Jewish ghetto with her family. In about the third year mark, the, the Nazis came in and they removed her mom and dad. and They took them to a concentration camp where they would die. And they took Gerda to another concentration camp for kids. She never saw her family again. And at the end of the war, they made this, this young girl march 350 miles with the hopes that it would kill her, the death march. And when the Allied forces finally rescued them, they said they found a 68-year-old, 68-pound young emaciated girl, and she survived. And I think one of the most beautiful love stories that's ever written, she married the lieutenant who found her, Lieutenant Kurt Klein, the one who was her rescuer. And if you go to Boston today, you'll notice there are six Holocaust towers. Five are, the six are for the reminder of the six death camps, the major death camps in Poland and Germany. But in five of the towers are, are written the names and the stories of those who have died in World War II. And on the, the sixth tower is a story by a lady named Gerda Klein. Her maiden name was Weissman, or in German, Weissman. And it's a simple story called the story of the raspberry. And this is what Gerda tells on that tower. She said, one day her friends, Ilsa, in the concentration camp, found the one raspberry laid on the ground. 
And she put that raspberry in her pocket all day until she found her friend Gerda. And together, they took out the raspberry and they shared it and ate. What would make these young girls share something that was so precious? What would make Ilsa something that was, that was she was dying of starvation and she would, she would suffer and she would share that raspberry with her friend because she shared in the sufferings together. And I can't help to think as I read the word of God that this is upside down living. How precious is the good news of sustenance in a concentration camp? How precious is good news to those who are dying in their sin for us? Are we willing to share and to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ? We see the way of the cross is the way of sacrifice. The way of the cross is a way of sacrifice. And that's what Jesus is reminding his disciples. Look at what Jesus says to them. He says to the modern church, Jesus doesn't prevent you from suffering. He prepares you to suffer. And I know that's not a happy message. But what is Jesus telling James and John? They answer him, allow us to sit at your right and your left. Jesus in verse 38 says, you don't know what you're asking. And then he says this, are you able to drink the cup? And what do they say? In verse 39, we are able, we're ready. What is Jesus telling the disciples? The same thing he tells us. He is preparing us when we face persecution, when we face suffering, that he will be there with you. And if the Jesus you want is the Jesus to prevent you from suffering, you are not seeking the Jesus of the word of God. You're seeking an idol that you've created from the Western world. And let me be honest, I don't want to suffer. I'm not saying, God, bring it on. But what I am saying that when we do, that our faith will be tested because I know our Savior is worth it. Christ prepares us. He prepares us for what might lie ahead. And radical upside down living rejects me first Christianity. It rejects that. Are you ready? Are you ready? Upside down living, giving a sacrifice. Look at what First Peter says, First Peter 4. He says this in verse 13, rejoice. What? Rejoice, why? As you share in the sufferings. There is no more folly that has ever been written. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Who is writing this? Peter. And tradition tells us that Peter died for his faith by crucifixion. And you know how Peter dies? When they're hanging him on the cross, he says, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord." Hang me upside down. This is the same Peter who writes, rejoice, church. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings. He died an upside down life 
as a reminder that we are called to be upside down followers of Christ. So how dare us worship when we feel like it? How dare us only give when it's comfortable? How dare us serve in our strength and not rely on the Holy Spirit? How dare us pray prayers that, that are, are Josh-centric or whatever your name might be? Why do we only pray prayers that are worried about our kingdom when God says, I have called you to a new life? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The new has come and the old has passed away. Are you ready to live an upside-down life? That is our calling in Christ. Secondly, verse 41. When the other 10 heard this, they were indignant. As if to say, I can't believe, Lord, I, Jesus, I can't believe those two would even ask that. That's not what's going on here. They're mad because they're thinking, James tried to steal my seat. How dare he? We don't know who said, probably Peter, right? Peter's, the, he's leading there. They're indignant. And, and listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus says in verse 33, after he says that you know that the Gentiles lord over themselves and what does he say in verse 33, 43? He says, it is not so with you. It is not so among you. You see, the, the Greek verbiage here is not a future tense. It's a current ongoing. Jesus is not saying this is how it's going to be. Jesus is saying this is how it is. If you want the kingdom of God, it is an upside down kingdom. It is a kingdom of service, not kingdom of status. So if you've come to Jesus Christ thinking, I'm about to be it in heaven. I'm about to receive my crowns. My mansion is in glory. It is waiting for me. Jesus says, that's not the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of service. He says, it's not so. The kingdom of the cross is the way of service. And if we're honest, there is no kingdom ethic that so vigorously attacks the ethic of the world than at this point. There is nothing in the life of the believer that attacks the American mindset more than this. That to be great in the kingdom of heaven is to be the least. And to be least in the kingdom of heaven is to be the great. Because what is our society built on? Status, prestige, notoriety. Who are you? Where do you work? Where do you live? Those aren't just questions of geography. Those are questions of status, aren't they? Well, who's your mom? I don't know her. Who's your mom's dad? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they did this. And so therefore you're that. In the kingdom of Christ, who is our father? His name is the Lord. And to be great in the house of God is to be the least. And the kingdom of God is a subversive, inverted, upside down kingdom. That's what Jesus is telling us here. They, they ask, they, they want their kingdom to be great. They, they ask for that. And he says in verse 43, it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be your 
your servants. The word great means a great quantity in Greek. It could be great in status. You see, they had the mega man complex. Right, Lord, we want to be mega. We want to be someone big. And Jesus, we know you're the son of God. Jesus, you can grant that for us. Kingdom impact and kingdom greatness is not about you. It's about Jesus. Think about that. Kingdom impact is not about you. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's not about any church that we build. As if we can say one day, Lord, look what we have built for you. When Christ returns, none of what you see is even going to be a dot in your memory. All that we will see is the blazing glory of our Savior face to face. Church, we're called to live upside down living. Inverted, subversive, servant-minded living for Jesus Christ. Greatness in the community of heaven is not defined by title or talent, but humility and servanthood. It is not defined by talent or title, but by servanthood. You say, well, okay, I'm ready, Pastor, I'm in. So how do I serve? And maybe you're thinking, well, I will serve, I, I will do this for the kingdom. I'm reminded that we respond to the call of God often before he gives us the duty, don't we? Oftentimes the call of God is trust me, be obedient, Follow me and then I'll tell you what you're gonna do. Think about what Jesus tells the disciples. He says, um, don't worry, people are going to lock you up. But don't worry when you come before the magistrates and the publicans, don't worry about what you're gonna say in that moment, why? Because I will give you the words you are to say. So what is Jesus saying? Follow me, accept the call, fully surrender, live an inverted life and watch me work through the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm often reminded in my life, God is not working through me because I don't look any different than anyone else. The world is longing for people who follow Christ to live a lifestyle of sacrifice and servanthood. Because if we don't, what does that say about our dedication to the one who gave it all for us? I was reading a story about two police, of, uh, two police officers this week and two sheriff deputies recently responded to a routine call about a, um, a wheelchair that was stuck in the middle of the road. So they get to the wheelchair and they found out that it's a, it's a battery operated wheelchair and the battery has died in the middle of the road with a little old lady in the wheelchair. And the wheelchair, because the battery is a large wheelchair, is too large to put in the trunk and it's too heavy to pick up and move. And so what one officer does, and his name was Deputy Montanez, he pushes the lady a mile to her house. Now what the news briefing said is that the other deputy is in the car on the radio taunting him the whole mile. Keep it up, push faster. As any good friend would encourage but as I was thinking about that story, why did he end up in a place of service? Because he responded to the call 
he responded to the call. The call of Christ in our life is the same. Some of us are waiting, Lord, you tell me what to do exactly and then I will follow you. And Jesus says, no, you respond to the call and I will give you the power through the Holy Spirit to live like I've called you to live. How do we live upside down kingdom living? It's the life of self-denial and suffering. You see, I believe we have forgotten how to sacrifice. The church, the people of the church have forgotten how to sacrifice. Shame on us that we assume that Jesus doesn't require sacrifice. Or, or we, we assume that Jesus will never ask us to sacrifice. It's worth it for the one who sacrificed all for you and for me. I think I put up a quote by Polycarp, an early church father. He said, well, pastor, this is a horrible message. It's not happy. I'm not gonna leave here excited. I get to die for my faith. Yes, suffer. Look at what Polycarp says. As he's dying for his faith, I bless you, Lord, because you have deemed me worthy of this day and this honor. To take my part in the number of martyrs, in the cup of your Christ for resurrection of eternal life, among whom may I be received in your presence this day as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. Peter says, rejoice when you share in the sufferings of Jesus. Polycarp, dying for his faith, says, I bless you, Lord, because you have deemed me worthy. And I can't help but feel and think that for many of us, we are not ready for that because we don't want that. When it comes down to it, if God asks us to sacrifice and live a life of self-denial or follow Christ and follow Christ or, or leave it, we would rather choose ourselves than the life of Jesus Christ. Are we ready to live upside down lifestyles? There's no other way. There's no option. Jesus calls us to live differently. And if we're not ready to do that, we do not want Christ. But he's worth it. He's worth it all. Jesus ends in this way. He says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. The word ransom means to grant your release. Maybe you're here today and you say, what, what does this upside down living look like? Maybe you're like the lady that we were able to talk with this morning that said, I don't have a story about Christ changing my life, but I want that. If, if Jesus died on the cross for my sins and it offers me forgiveness, I want that life. You see, on the cross, our debt was paid in full. I love what Adrian Rogers says. People would ask him all the time, and great preacher from Memphis, Tennessee. 
And they said, Pastor Adrian, what is this world coming to? And here's his response. He said, they're coming to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. And I can't help but think today, there are people here right now that Jesus has already paid the price for your salvation and he's offered it to you. That if in faith you receive it, if you turn from your sins, if you turn to Christ, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, lordship is what? Lordship is I, I no longer have the reins to my life. Everything I have is yours. You will be saved. Church, this is a difficult message, but are you willing to give it all for Christ? Are you ready? We're gonna open up the altar for a time of response and maybe you were like me this week and you realize that your prayers are selfish prayers. You realize if God answered every prayer that you had today, that your kingdom would grow, but the kingdom of God would not. Maybe you need to spend time at the altar and say, Lord, change my heart. Maybe you need to spend time for our brothers and sisters around the world who right now are dying for their faith because they, they feel like Jesus is worth it. Maybe we need to come on their behalf and say, God, may your faith sustain them that we too might one day say, Lord, we bless you that you have counted us worthy to suffer like Christ has suffered. But may we not think that Jesus does not require us to suffer. And may we never think that Jesus does not ask us to sacrifice. Upside down living is difficult, but it is worth it. And he has equipped us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray.